Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. And we'll begin reading at verse 23. For I received from the Lord Himself that which I passed on to you. It was given to me personally that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was treacherously delivered up and while His betrayal was in progress took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this to call me affectionately to remembrance. Similarly, when supper was ended, he took the cup also, saying, This cup is the new covenant ratified and established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to call me affectionately to remembrance. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are representing and signifying and proclaiming the fact of the Lord's death until he comes again. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy written word, and we thank you for ears to hear it accurately, hearts to receive it, and minds to understand it. We are thankful to you for the teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost, whom we trust, dear Father God, will enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all the things that pertain to life and also godliness. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to proclaim with boldness the truth of your word and the power of the Spirit that our faith would stand not in men's wisdom but in the power of the living God, in Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I want to point out the fact that these, te- these particular scriptures give to us one of the evidences of the truth of, of scripture because they reveal to us a truth given to the Apostle Paul, not from men or by men, but directly from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself by revelation. You will notice that the Apostle Paul said in verse 23, I received from the Lord Himself that which I passed on to you. Paul the Apostle, we understand, was not with the disciples on the night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Paul the Apostle did not confer with any of those who were present there that night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Therefore, he had no knowledge of what took place that night or what happened. How then is it that he wrote and taught exactly what the disciples wrote and taught about what took place that night with such accuracy? How did he do that? Well, if you just read the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, he states the fact that I didn't receive this gospel from a man. I wasn't taught it. I received it by direct revelation. In other words, Jesus Christ himself appeared to me and told me what happened that night. I'm going to say that again. Jesus himself appeared to me, the Apostle Paul said, and revealed to me what happened that night. And the amazing thing about it is he had more revelation than what they had. That is, those who were there. He had more understanding and in-depth knowledge of what took place that night and its spiritual meaning 
than what they had at that particular time. And I firmly believe they had to confer with him afterwards, and they themselves, the disciples, the eyewitnesses, those that were the guests there of Jesus that night, they found out some things from him about it. So we see here that if someone is skeptical and does not believe in God's Word as being truth, here's one of the evidences that will prove that God's Word is infallible. Secondly, I'd like to point out another thought, and that is these scriptures reveal to us the author of the institution of the Lord's Supper. And of course, it's important for us as Christians to understand why we do the things that we do. Can you imagine someone coming in here today to, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper never understanding anything about Christianity? I mean, if they try to reason it out in their mind according to the eye of reason, what value is, is there in taking bread and drinking juice? What virtue is in it? What gives it its efficacy? Is there anything to it? What are these people doing? Are they mad? Why are we really doing this this morning? Why should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Well, the answer to that question is very simple. The authority is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who authorized our faith. He is the one who spoke here on earth and also from above and says that this is what we are to do. And therefore, its efficacy comes from Him. Its virtue and power comes from from him. See, there's no power in bread and drink that is in juice itself. It has no power to affect the human spirit or soul whatsoever in itself. But if one speaks from above with authority and tells us to do something with it, then we can understand that by being obedient to what he has instructed us to do, there is power in it. There is virtue in it and efficacy. For an example, you recall the time that Jesus spat on the ground and made clay out of the spittle and anointed a man's blind eyes with it and said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. What virtue is there in clay made out of spittle? None whatsoever. What power is there in clay made out of spittle? None whatsoever. Do you recall the time when the prophet told Naaman the leper to dip in the river Jordan seven times and his flesh would come clean again? What virtue is there in the River Jordan? What power does the River Jordan possess to heal the leper? The elements in themselves possess nothing. There's no power, no virtue in them. But if one speaks from above with authority and says, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And if one speaks with authority from above and says, Go dip seven times in the River Jordan then those elements are used in the working of a miracle and they get their efficacy from the one who speaks from above with authority and power. Likewise, these elements have no power in themselves to do anything to us in spirit, soul, or body. But, beloved, the one who has spoken from above has authorized our faith and he says partake. And I guarantee you that as we partake, these elements will be used in the working of a miracle in our lives to affect us in spirit, soul, and also, I believe, in body. If we we'll only participate in this celebration according to the 
instruction given to us from the one who is in authority. Now I want you to notice then that according to the Word of God, there are two ways to partake in the celebration of the Lord's Supper and the keeping of this holy ordinance. Read with me, if you would, please, beginning at verse 27. You will notice from these particular scriptures, there is a profitable way to partake of this supper, and there is an unprofitable way to partake of this supper. Beginning with the unprofitable way, in verse 27 we read, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in a way that is unworthy of him, I am reading from the Amplified, will be guilty of profaning and sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man thoroughly examine himself, and only when he has done so should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discriminating and recognizing with due appreciation that it is Christ's body eats and drinks a sentence, a verdict of judgment upon himself. That careless and unworthy participation is the reason many of you are weak and sickly and quite enough of you are fallen into the sleep of death. And let's stop there. I want you to notice that the unprofitable way to partake of this holy ordinance is partaking of it in an unworthy fashion. Now, every child of God is made worthy by the blood of Jesus and has a right to partake in the Lord's Supper. And it does not mean that one has to reach spiritual perfection before he can participate in the celebration. This is not the implication at all. What he is saying is this. We can be children of God, yet... We can still participate in an unworthy fashion. It has nothing to do with whether or not we have achieved perfection. Whether or not we have been perfected or made perfect in all the graces that are in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not referring to that at all. See, some keep upon themselves more guilt and condemnation unnecessarily because they think that that's what he's saying here. But he's not saying that at all. You're a child of God. From day one, you have a right to partake of this celebration. You're in a position and place to partake of this celebration in a worthy fashion. But he's pointing out the fact that there were those who are partaking of this celebration in an unworthy fashion. And that's the reason why he began to instruct them enlightening them, letting them know what is an unworthy fashion. And remember, this instruction came not from the Apostle Paul. He received it from the Lord Himself. If anyone knows how one should participate in the celebration of this holy ordinance, it should be the one who authorized it. Amen? That is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So let's remember that as we look at the negative side of this. Every single one of us is worthy to participate, and it doesn't mean we have to achieve spiritual perfection to do so. But we are also reminded of the fact that there is a negative side, there is an unprofitable way to participate, and that is called the unworthy way or an unworthy fashion, a manner in which one participates. Now, just for a moment, think about this. What good would it have done the man who was blind to go and wash in another pool other than the pool of Siloam? Would he have profited from that if he didn't follow the instruction according to the teaching of the one who authorized his move? Absolutely not. He couldn't go to another pool and wash in it and expect a miracle. 
See, we must cooperate with the one who speaks, who has authority. What good would it have done Naaman the leper to go dip in the river Farpar where he said, Isn't our river cleaner than the river Jordan? Why do I have to come all the way down here and just, you know, dip myself in this muddy water? Well, had he done that, he would have not profited because he wasn't following the instructional teaching of the one who spoke with authority. He was doing it another way. Do we see that point? He was doing it another way, not according to the instructional teaching or the instructions that were given to him by the one who is in authority. Well, likewise, these elements have no power in them to produce miracles in our lives. They have no virtue in themselves. But it's only when we follow the instructional teaching of the Lord and partake in a manner according to His specifications that I believe the miracle is wrought because we are cooperating with the one who is in authority. So if a person fails to participate in a celebration according to the instructions and specifications given by the one who instituted this ordinance, then he is partaking or participating in an unworthy fashion, in a way different than the way instructed by the Master. So do we clearly see that? It's just doing it in a different way. Naaman couldn't jump in Ohio River and expect to get cleansed from leprosy. It just wouldn't work. So we can't partake of this supper and expect to profit from it by doing it in a manner different than what the Lord specified. Now, as an example, let's recall Judas. Was he not there on the night that the Lord instituted his supper? Did he not partake of the supper just as the others did? What did it profit him? Not at all. There was no profit. These Corinthians were participating in the same supper, but they were participating and partaking in a manner that was unworthy and not according to the instruction or specification that was given by the Lord Himself. And therefore, they were not being profited by observing the ordinance. As a matter of fact, I'd like to take that one step further. I want you to notice once again in verse 30 that just as these elements have no value, no power in themselves, no, no virtue in themselves to affect us alone, it's just bread and drink. Only when we cooperate and follow the instructions are they made alive with that power and efficacy. Observing this supper in an unworthy fashion has a negative effect upon the human spirit, soul, and body. Now, partaking of bread and drink will not have a negative effect upon anyone's spirit, soul, or body in the natural, will it? What harm can it bring to the person in spirit, soul, and body just to partake of grape juice and bread? But I want you to notice this. If a person does partake unworthily 
or in an unworthy fashion, there is a negative effect upon that person's spirit, soul, and body. Let's read verse 30. That careless and unworthy participation is the reason many of you are weak. How can bread and juice produce weakness? I mean, that's contrary to what we know and understand. It should help us not produce weakness. It should produce strength. Also, he says, it's the reason many of you are sickly. The Corinthians were not participating in the celebration in a worthy fashion. Therefore, they were weak. They were sick. And then he goes on and says, and it's the reason why many of you have died prematurely. Now, when you participate in a celebration or when you think of drinking juice and eating bread, I don't equate that with one becoming sick or one becoming weak and one dying prematurely. But just as the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines and, and, and of course, given to other nations and, and all that, had a negative effect upon those people, and many of them became sick, and you know all the happenings that took place when they had the Ark of the Covenant. As a matter of fact, there was so much that was going wrong in their lives, they said, give it back to them. We don't want it. But it had a positive effect upon the lives, lives of the Israelites because it belonged to them. Well, likewise, if we don't participate in this celebration in a worthy fashion, there is a negative effect. And it's not just in the bread and drink alone. We have to understand the, the, the virtue that's in it, the power that's in it, both positive and negative. Now, it's not God making people sick. It's not God making people weak. It's not God the one who's going around killing people, having them die prematurely. It's just the negative effect of not participating in this celebration in a worthy fashion. Now, let's get away from the negative side and look over to the positive side. If that may be true with regard to the unworthy participation, what about the worthy participation or the profitable participation? Let's put it this way. It's not indicating that one reaches spiritual perfection once again. It's not saying that one has developed totally in Christ Jesus and every grace present in Christ Jesus is fully manifested in the life of the believer. It's not saying that we have achieved that place of divine perfection yet in our lives. So once again, we're not stating something that is beyond our reach. We can never participate in a celebration. That's not the truth. It's just saying this. One who participates in a worthy fashion is one who participates according to the instructions and specifications handed down by the one who instituted the ordinance. Doing it, in other words, the way he said to do it. And if we'll do it the way he said to do it, with the right attitude of heart and motive of heart, then, of course, our participation will be profitable. In what way? Will it be profitable in our lives and to our lives? Well, first of all, I really believe it's just the opposite of the negative effects. I believe, number one, it'll produce strength in the life of a believer. Not just physical strength, but strength from above. This is a spiritual ordinance. And I believe it's strength beyond the physical, beyond the natural. It is divine strength. 
these elements then will be used at that point of contact when we partake and participate in this celebration to release within ourselves and our lives spiritual or supernatural strength. Also, I believe it will promote divine health. It'll release within us the ability of God to produce health and healing to an individual's life. If a person is in need of bodily healing, if a person desires to remain in bodily health, I really believe that in this ordinance we can achieve both if we participate properly in a worthy fashion. So we'll profit by obtaining spiritual strength. And that release of that strength and ability within us will also affect us in the physical body. And I believe also in the, in the mind, the realm of the emotions. Also, I believe uh, another benefit to be, there will be long life. If it's a cause for them to die prematurely, I really believe it also is a cause for one to experience longevity. So when a person really focuses in on the true meaning of this ordinance and participates in a worthy fashion, he can expect to experience strength, healing and health, both. Healing meaning a medicine that will provide health where there is sickness or healing where there is sickness. But also, I believe when one is healed, it provides what is necessary for him to maintain his health. Also, I believe he can expect to experience long life. But that's not all of the benefits. I also believe that when a person really understands how to participate in this celebration in a worthy fashion, and does so, it affects him in other ways. I believe his will is extended. I believe that his love for God is exalted. I believe that his peace is increased and his hope is increased in his life. I believe his faith in God is quickened, made alive, vibrant, real, a living faith. It contributes, I believe, to our having more light in our understanding of the things of God and of the person of Christ. I believe it causes us to have more compassion toward the lost in men who are here in this realm of life. And it enables us to see them through those eyes of compassion that Jesus had when He walked the earth. Because it's all wrapped up in this holy ordinance before us today. I believe it also takes all that is brass within our lives and purifies us and refines it to be gold. Purified gold before God. If we'll do it in a worthy fashion. These are the things that will profit us in our lives. And that's not the end of it all. I believe there's a whole lot more. But those are just some of the things I believe that will happen to our lives. Now, this brings us to the nature of the ordinance. I want you to look at verse 26 with me, if you would, please. Well, let's back it up. 
to verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this. Now notice, do this. This is the nature of the ordinance. Do this. To call me affectionately to remembrance. What is the nature of the ordinance? It's a commemorative one. It's a memorial. To participate in this celebration properly in a worthy fashion, the utmost thing to know is the fact that we are to remember the person of Christ. Remember me, he said. Do this to remember me. Now, first of all, let's establish the setting here. You'll recall that on the night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, the Jewish people were about to celebrate the feast of the Passover which was a memorial reminding them of the person of Moses and of the events connected with the person of Moses and their exodus out of Egyptian bondage. In other words, when they celebrated the feast of the Passover, they were reminded of, and we go all the way back to the book of Exodus, the time when they were in captivity under the tyranny of the Egyptian king and rule. They were in bondage. They were oppressed. They were afflicted. They began to cry out to the Lord God, remembering the covenant that they had. They were reminded of the fact that God appeared to Moses in a burning bush and spoke to him instructing him to take a place where he would be used of God to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. They're reminded of the fact that way back when God moved in power through this man and delivered them from that sure destruction. They're reminded of the fact as they celebrated of the plagues that took place, of the power of God that was demonstrated, of how God's power was so demonstrated that all the gods of the Egyptians were overcome by Him. And that in the death of the firstborn, when they celebrated that first Passover, it's symbolize the fact that each and every one of the gods of the Egyptians were overcome by the God of Israel. As they celebrated that feast of the Passover, they reminded themselves of the fact that Moses was the man that gave them the instruction. And all the events that took place, the lamb, the application of the blood, they remind themselves of the fact that although there were many that were elderly among them, that when they partook of the lamb... And applied the blood. They were protected from the death angel. And they were also delivered with power and strength. And God brought them out so that there was not one feeble among their tribe. And they began to remind themselves of the fact that God, after delivering them with such mighty power also, was with them to lead them along the way. He didn't just lead them once He delivered them. They were reminded of the fact of the Red Sea. And how they were at a place of dilemma. And they had no way of escape. 
And once again, God through Moses speaking to him, saying, Use the rod. And he used the rod, and the waters were, were parted and concealed, and they walked across dry ground. They remind themselves of how the Egyptians followed them, and their God stood right by their side to protect them, and to help them, and to deliver them, because he cared for them. And they had a time of celebration and jubilation on the other side. As the waters once again came together and destroyed all the Egyptians and the, and the armies of the Egyptians and all their warriors in the midst of the sea and their horsemen. And Miriam began to shout and sing and dance before the Lord who delivered them with a mighty hand. Saying, who's like unto thee, O Lord God Almighty, in all the earth? There's none like unto thee. And oh, what a time of celebration the feast of the Passover was, beloved. He brought them out with silver. He brought them out with gold. They were reminded of, of those facts. And you know what those memories did for them? It stirred them to national pride and devout feeling. Oh, hallelujah. How they lifted their heads. How their affection and devotion went out to their God. Well, you know what, beloved? You say, what's that got to do with the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a memorial. And on that night, do you know what Jesus was saying to his disciples who were preparing to celebrate the feast of the Passover? He was saying these words. Forget Moses. Forget the feast of the Passover. He was saying these words. They serve, those thoughts and memories served as a type and shadow. Forget the shadow and type for the real. I am the real. Remember me. I'm doing away with the feast of the Passover. I am instituting a new ordinance, a celebration. It's called the Lord's Supper. And in it, you will remember me. See, in this celebration, beloved, to partake of it in a worthy fashion, number one, we are called to remember the person of Christ. Number two, we are called to remember the events. Connected with the person of Christ. And also, number three, we are called to remember the benefit flowing from the sacrifice of Christ that affects us now in this life and also when Jesus comes again. Benefits that will affect us right now here and also that will affect us when Jesus comes and splits those clouds of glory and then is in His second coming. So, beloved, for us to partake of this supper in a worthy fashion, once again, I'm not saying you have to achieve a place of divine perfection. This does not mean that you are expected to have every grace manifested in Christ, manifested also in you and highly developed in your life. It doesn't mean that. It means that right now, at this moment, each and every one of us should begin and should have already been doing this, remembering the person of Christ. Remember me, he said. This is a celebration and a feast that can be observed every day if we wanted to. And the early church did it every day. The Passover was observed once a year. But this celebration can be observed every single day. Why don't we do it more often? I really believe because 
we need to be in a right place to do so. People need to come to a place that they really remember Jesus. Beloved, give me your undivided attention. We need to remember Jesus. It is so easy to leave this church today and then go through tomorrow with all the things that we've got to do and forget the person of Christ. It is so easy for us to forget the events connected with the person of Christ. It is so easy on a day-by-day basis to forget the benefits of the sacrifice of Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. Maybe we should have it more often. Maybe we should be reminded more often so that we can be more focused and more prepared. We are to begin reminding ourselves of the person of Christ. You might say, how can I remind myself of someone that I've never seen? How can I remember in my mind's eye someone whom I've never met? I've never met the man. Well, the Israelites, all of them never met Moses. But they learned of Moses. They studied the Scriptures. They heard from others. And they learned about the events connected with the life of Moses and the Egyptian exodus. They learned all that. And as a result, it was as if they were there themselves. It was as if they were a part of that exodus. They came to know it clearly, with understanding. And they saw God at work in their midst of this man. And it stirred them, as I said, to national pride, pride and, and devotion. Beloved, we have something far better than what they have. We have the Spirit of the living God who is abiding within us right now to introduce us in full depth to the person of Christ. We have the ability to know the past of His life, the present of His life, and also the future of His life. I mean, who can you think of right now that you know some things He is going to do way off in the future somewhere? But each and every one of us sitting here right now are consciously aware of the fact that one day Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds of glory. He's going to split those clouds and take up with Him those that are dead and alive in in Him. We are also consciously aware of the fact He's going to come to this earth and set up a kingdom as the Prince of Peace. And for 1,000 years He will reign as the Prince of Peace. We know in the book of Revelation chapter 5, That this event is going to occur in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the saints are raptured up and we're up there in a heavenly abode. That Jesus will come and before the seals are open and books are open of the future. That Jesus is going to be worshipped. The worthy one to take the book and loose the seals thereof will be worshipped and glorified. And all the angels and heavenly hosts and every one of us who is up there will rejoice in Him. And shout the praise. And then there is the unfolding of the future events. We know all about that. Well, just as we vividly know about those things, beloved, what about the past? We know Christ in His pre-existence. For we read about it in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. Let's remind ourselves of the one we celebrate, of the life of the person that we celebrate 
He is not just Jesus who walked on this earth. He is the Christ who preexisted with the Father, who is the maker of all things in heaven and in earth, who became flesh. We remember Christ by reminding ourselves of the incarnation fact, that although He existed in the form of God, He gave up all of the glory and power and came upon this earth, the Creator becoming a part of the creation. We remind ourselves of this act of humility, how He humbled Himself to be robed and clothed with human flesh for the purpose of dying for each and every one of us. And then we begin to see Jesus Christ in the Gospels. We see Him waxing strong and growing in spirit and in wisdom and stature. We see Him then in the wilderness being baptized by John as a person of humility and continued humility. As he says, look, I need to fulfill all righteousness. We see him as the Spirit of God lights upon him. And he is led forth into the wilderness being tempted of the devil. We see him as being strong in temptation. One of strong character. One who will not give in or yield to temptation. But one who through the Word of God stands firm against all the powers of darkness and overcomes, not like the first Adam, but praise God as the last Adam, he comes in power of the Word of God. Not all the glory from above, but in the power of the Word of God and shows that a human being created in likeness and image of the living God himself can stand against this enemy of God and man. We remind ourselves of this same Jesus, anointed with the Spirit and power, going about from that point on, doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That's the Jesus that we know. And when I first read those words in Matthew, I began to weep. The love and compassion, the care and the concern of this man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, as he went about healing all these people. Providing deliverance for anyone and whosoever will, let them come and touch the hem of his garment. He'll make them whole. We're reminded of how Jesus, after his baptism and anointing, began to teach and speak words that men has never before heard or spake. How he spoke the words of the Sermon on the Mount and revealed the very heart of the Father God in such a way that you know that only one who really intimately knows him can describe And then from that point, he comes down from the mountaintop. A leper comes to him. The Roman centurion comes to him. He goes to Peter's houses. Mother-in-law is sick. And then he brings to him multitudes who are sick and afflicted and possessed with devils. And Jesus stretches forth his hand and cleanses the leper. The Roman centurion's child is delivered and set free. Peter's mother-in-law is delivered and set free. All those that came, they're all delivered and set free. The devil's gone out of them. They're brought back to soundness and wholeness once again. This is the Jesus that we know. This is the Jesus that we celebrate. This is the Jesus that we understand, that we remind ourselves of. This is Jesus. And then it goes on and we see him going about his father's business and continuing his preaching, his teaching, and his healing ministry. And then we see Him as He begins to head towards Calvary's cross. We see Him 
doing his best to, to demonstrate and show the love of God, the compassion of God, and also to reveal who he was to these people who are lost and who rejected him. We see him as the rejected one, the reviled one, those that was, the one who was spoken against, but yet he spoke against no man. We see him as, as the one who was not going to quit. He was going to do the will of God all the way into the end. We see him as the one who set his sights like a flint. He's going all the way. And I'm not turning back. We see Jesus then in light of all this standing before the, the, the grace out of Lazarus. And I mean from the depth of his being, not only wanting to bring this man back from the dead, but wanting to really demonstrate and show these lost people that are bound for eternal damnation that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and if they believe, they'd see the glory of God. We see the one who is possessed with power and authority that's incomparable. No man has ever possessed this kind of power as he walked upon the face of this earth. And it's beyond our human imagination, but he stands there at that gravesite with love and compassion within his heart and also the fervor from within to demonstrate the power of the living God, thanking the Father that he always hears him because he does everything that is pleasing in his sight. We see him as our example in faith and integrity and obedience in suffering and all that he had to do. He was doing it. And as he stood there and spoke out those words, removed the stone, and Lazarus come forth, he that was dead came forth. And the power of God was so demonstrated right there through his life and ministry as, as the Father used him, that multitudes believed, but yet there were others who did not believe. We see him doing everything possible to reach out and touch the hearts and minds of men, that they would know who he is and understand his mission. We see Him not stopping, going all the way, into, and then after the celebrate, after instituting the Lord's Supper, we see Him knowing that Judas was going to betray Him, still going forth in prayer. We see Him leading forth His people with a, with a praise celebration and singing songs unto God Almighty Himself. We see Him out there in the garden then, and, and praying as if it were drops of blood, because He knows what He's about to do at this particular time. He is going to, to suffer for all of humanity. We see Him, we're reminded of, of His sacrifice, the supreme sacrifice. It wasn't enough. He became a man. Now, He must have with the sin of all mankind. We see Him. We're reminded of Him and the events that connected with His life and ministry and purpose. And there He is asking His disciples to pray with Him at least for an hour to receive relief and support. Yet angels had to come and minister because His disciples were too weary and too tired. But we see Jesus who would not quit no matter who was with Him, no matter who stood by His side. He was going on all the way to the end. He's Jesus. He's going to fulfill the purpose of God. He's going to do the works of Him that sent Him. We see Jesus not turning back. He is our example. Beloved, remind yourself of this. There isn't anybody else who's your example. Jesus is your example. It doesn't matter who fails. If I fail or all the, all the leaders in, in Christianity fail, it doesn't matter. Jesus is your example. Jesus is the one we follow. No man. Jesus goes all the way to the end. And He'll take you all the way to the end. We see Jesus this morning. We see Jesus in our midst today. Jesus is the reason for this celebration today. Are we reminding ourselves of Jesus? Are you ready? We see Jesus in the garden. We see one of His followers betray Him who celebrated that first supper with a kiss and for 30 pieces of silver. We see Jesus who could have called a legion of angels down to help Him in His cause, giving Himself to the enemy. Take me, I'm in your hands now. But we see him also restoring a man's ear that was cut off because he couldn't stand the sight of that. 
and said, Peter, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Let's, let God's love rule your heart. What an example. To heal his enemy that way. We see him going before Pilate, or, or, or going before the Sanhedrin and all the, the, the high priests and, and, and all the religious leaders. And we see them doing what they oh so long to do so many times before. But now they're, the, he's in their hands and now they can do it. They can smack his face and pluck out his beard and pull out his hair. They can, they can abuse him and spit upon him. And try to get him to prophesy, but he's still our Jesus who does not open up his mouth. Because he knows he's doing it for you. He knows he's doing it for me. We're reminded of the supreme sacrifice that he makes as he stands before Pilate. And he knows he is vindicated. He knows he is free. He knows there is, there is no fault in him. And Pilate says there's no fault in him. But yet, as a sheep is done before his ears, he doesn't open his mouth, doesn't say a word, doesn't utter a sound in his own defense of protection. We see that integrity. We see the beauty of his character. We see Jesus as he finally faces the Roman lictor, as he's beaten and whipped, fed with a crown of thorns. We see Jesus on that cross, taking upon himself the sin of all humanity, and finally crying out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and, and then committing his spirit to the hands of the Father. Beloved, I, w- I don't want to stop there. Because I know there are, there are those that are out there in Christianity right now that will come against what I'm about to say. But I thought this through carefully and I said, you know what? I have a right to believe what I believe the Bible says about what took place after his death on that cross. And I have a right to proclaim it too. Because I don't really believe that you can really see Jesus and really remember what he did for you. Totally, unless you see him leaving that place and going into the innermost parts of the earth and suffering for your sin. I'm talking about him being there and suffering in the regions of the damned for your sin and for my sin. His soul was not left in hell and his body did not see corruption. Remind yourself of Jesus and the supreme sacrifice to leave that realm of glory, to come to walk on earth as a man and then to go a step further and take upon himself the sin of all mankind and then go to that place of suffering where we should have gone and paying the penalty for our high treason. Remind yourself of the supreme sacrifice of the holy, immaculate Son of the living God and may it affect us within and change us from within and motivate us to be more like Him. And live as he lived and follow him. But it doesn't end there, beloved. No, they reminded themselves of this leader called Moses. It doesn't end with a negative scenario. Let's remind ourselves of this Jesus who paid the price for all mankind. Who suffered the the claims of justice being held against all, all mankind. He suffered all that. He did all that God had asked him to do. He suffered all that the Father asked him to, to suffer. He did all that he could to provide a way of escape, not to provide a temporal deliverance like Moses did, but beloved to provide an eternal redemption for all of us here. He says, forget Moses. Moses provided temporal things. Moses provided those things back then that were temporal and they're not eternal. But I have come to give you the true bread of life. I have come to feed you with the true bread and manna that comes down from heaven. Moses gave you manna that satisfied your physical hunger. I'm giving you manna that you can eat from that you'll never hunger again. 
Remember me, he says. I've come to give my life a ransom for many and to offer eternal life, eternal deliverance unto all who will come. And whosoever will, let him come. Today we are reminded of the fact that that same Jesus could not be bound by death, hell, and the grave. That that same Jesus could not be bound by any tyranny of darkness. There was no power of darkness that was able to hold him in its throes. That our Lord Jesus Christ is not there left in death, hell, and in the grave. His body did not see corruption. His, his soul was not left in hell. But our Lord Jesus Christ, after He had satisfied the claims of justice, was raised up from the dead by the mightiest working of the power of the living God, brought out of that place with glory and with power, and took His blood, offered it upon the... the, 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 the as a sacrifice upon all the images of worship was all cleansed by His precious and holy blood. The Father accepted the blood. Man was justified. He finally obtained an eternal redemption for all of mankind. He was not left her in that place. He was the one who was raised up. Let's remind ourselves of the fact that He is the one that says, Behold, I am He that liveth and was dead. But behold, look at me now. I'm alive forevermore. I'm the key to your eternity. I'm the key to your eternal life. Look to me and remember me. I'm the one that abolished death and brought life and, and immortality to life through the gospel. He says, Remember me. Amen. Remember me. Are you ready for this? We can go on and talk about the future, but what I want to talk about right now is how that affects us now. The Israelites remembered that deliverance. That was a nation being delivered. But today, we remember our personal deliverance. Do you remember when you were lost in sin as the Israelites were bound under Egyptian tyranny. Do you remember how you were in the throes of the powers of darkness? Do you remember that day way back when, when you didn't know where you'd spend your eternity? You were lost, without hope, without help, without God in the world. Jesus says, I want you to remember when you called upon me. The benefits that flow from his sacrifice. Will you remember when you called upon him? And he came in and you partook of his life. By his supreme sacrifice, he manifested in your life that love that washed you from your sins and cleansed you in His own blood. Our faithful witness, He says, I want you to remember me. You were once bound by darkness, but now you're no longer bound. Have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten that you were once bound, but now you're no longer bound? Now you are free? Don't forget that. Remind yourself ourselves of the freedom that we have because of Him. We were lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. Thank God for Jesus. 
thank God for freedom that we have because of Jesus. It wasn't just a temporal deliverance. It's an eternal redemption, an eternal deliverance, and it affects our lives right now, each and every day. And beloved, as we begin to recognize that we are free in spirit indeed, that we are free in soul indeed, that we are free in body indeed, we are free people as we live and move upon this earth. In Him we have our being, and because of Jesus, there isn't the power of darkness that has right to our lives. There isn't a power of darkness that can lay claims to our spirits or our body, our finances, our family. Our unit under God is a protected unit by the power of the living God. And the blood-stained banner is upheld and lifted upon our properties. And the bloodline is formed all the way around us. And the gates of hell, the powers of darkness, have no right to prevail against us because we belong to the living God because of Jesus. Remember me, he says. Put me in the uppermost part of your thinking. Remember me, he says. And if you'll do that and celebrate, the benefits, the benefits of the celebration in themselves, the elements have no power or virtue. But I'll tell you what, this faith in the living God, in the memory of who he is in us and what he has done for us, Together will cause the virtue to flow, the power to flow. And I believe as we celebrate this morning, beloved, with these thoughts in mind, I believe this. I believe for spirits to be strengthened. I believe for souls to be strengthened. I believe for bodies to be healed and delivered from aches and pains and sicknesses and diseases and everything and anything that is foreign to health. I believe for bodies that are healthy right now to, to, to be rejuvenated and energized with more of the health of God in them. I believe for spiritual conditions to change. I believe for wills to be extended toward God. I believe love for God to be exalted in the heart of the believer. I believe for a person's peace and hope to be increased in Christ Jesus. He's coming again. It's your blessed hope. If you've lost a loved one out there, I want it to be increased in you. He's coming again, and He's bringing your loved one with Him. And it's all wrapped up in this, this ordinance right here. It's all here. And also your faith to be quickened. Yes, by His life in me, I have faith, in a, a living faith, in a living God. I am delivered in spirit, soul, and in body. Thank God, this is the memory of the One who delivered me. This is my memory of Him and His mighty power when He walked upon this earth and as He has revealed Himself to me in my life. Faith will be quickened. I believe the brass in our lives will be refined to gold. I really believe our, 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 our understanding will be more enlightened with the, with the knowledge of God. I believe we'll be affected in every department of our being as we truly remember Him. That's what it means to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. Shut everything else out. Whether or not your neighbor is doing right or whatever, shut everything else out. This is a personal matter. It's a personal relationship with a personal God and a personal Savior. And if we as individuals will celebrate and partake in this worthy fashion, I believe it will be conducive to all these things that we've mentioned. I expect to see bodies healed and more strengthened, healthier bodies and minds, 
delivered from all kinds of emotional conditions or even addictions and, 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 and all that and, and the substance abuse and everything else that exists. I believe emotions to be healed. I believe he binds the brokenhearted and, and heals the brokenhearted, binds up those wounds. I expect all that to take place. I expect the best for us this morning because of Jesus. I expect our spirits to be stirred with family pride. We are kings and priests of the Most High God. That's what this memory should do to us. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And I expect our lives to be moved with affection and devotion towards Him. Let us draw near to Him right now who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. And let us celebrate reminding ourselves of Him. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.